0: According to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Are you all right? Rita, are you okay? Uh Uh-oh. All right, well, we're going to pray. And we're going to pray for Rita while we're praying. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this evening. We thank you for your faithfulness and the blessing we have to assemble together. And we do pray for Rita, Father, and uh, bless her and encourage her, Father, and uh, just continue to provide abundantly for our flock. Uh, Thank you for Cynthia Carnegie and uh, visit with her in the hospital and uh, for Kathy Barrier and so many more, Father. You just uh, show yourself faithful again and again. So we give you the praise and the glory. Pray for your hand of blessing upon our time tonight as we study to show ourselves approved. And uh, just give you praise and glory, Father, for twenty-eight amazing years. I thank you in Christ's name. Amen. All right, we have a microphone ready to go, microphone runners ready to go, so we can take uh, take some questions this evening. If we have a lead-off question, all right, Bill Kelly, you get our first question. Thank you.
1: This morning we were talking about in Genesis when uh, Abram. Was telling Sarai to say that you're my, my sister, and um, and you had mentioned that he did, well, of course he did it twice, mm-hmm. uh, chapter twelve, chapter twenty. Do we have a guesstimate of the years in between chapters twelve and chapters twenty?
0: Well, it's at least sixteen years because Ishmael is sixteen years older than Isaac, and Ishmael's not born until chapter sixteen, so it's longer than that. It's probably about a twenty-year gap, and uh, that's just a ballpark estimate.
1: And were they still within that same area those whole 20 years, do we know? Or do they, do they go somewhere else? Or
0: Oh, Abraham roamed quite a bit uh, during that time. And uh, that included the, the time that uh, when he separated from Lot, when he went to the hill country, and Lot went to the valley. And then there were some other things that happened there. But, yeah, it was all through the land of promise, and, and for the most part. Right, thank you. Okay. Yeah, we were talking about, uh, talking about that. And not only did Abraham do it twice, Isaac, in his turn, he tried the same silly routine, you know. Tell him you're my wife, you know, tell him you're my sister, right? Instead of, so, at least in Abraham's case, it was kind of half true because they they did share the same father, just different mothers, and they were half brother and sister anyway. But um, anyway, they were they were just lying about their their marriage so that uh, they could somehow manipulate the system and Abraham wouldn't be wouldn't be killed. But, yeah. All right, other questions tonight. I have one that's pending from a couple weeks ago, and I'm still going to keep that pending. I want to. A better answer for Chris uh, for Chris Smith on that. So, centering on logos, and what are the uses of logos that don't apply to Jesus or the written word? What uh, what use does logos have that has other applications besides the the Son of God and the the uh, revealed Word of God? So, I'm still working on that. That's a pending question from two weeks ago. <clears throat> Anything else here tonight? Okay, Kevin.
1: Um studying uh in the lord um psalm one thirty verse six i'm curious about the watchmen um that the author is saying that his soul waits waits for the Lord more than the watchman and i don't know who these watchmen are if it if that's supposed to mean something more than These people that watch? No, I think it's, it's, yeah,
0: my soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning. That's how you want to read that. And so if you've ever done night shift, this this is one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. Because you know how many night shifts I've done between the army and the sheriff's department? And and I tell you, for eight years, I had more night shifts than I can shake a stick at. So there's nobody, there's no night watchman that's not looking for the morning. Because you know, when the morning rises, time to go home. Okay. Wow, made it through another night. Go home and go to sleep. And so, yeah, when this says my soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning, that is the watchman wait for the morning, it just shows a great eagerness, a great diligence that, that uh, I'm, I'm, I'm eager for, for Bible class tonight because the Lord is going to be speaking and I just can't wait. It's, just, it's like a night watchman that wants to go home and sleep because he's been awake all night. Yeah, Great question. Yeah. Appreciate that. All right, Bill, follow up for Bill.
1: Uh, this question's from John chapter nine verse thirty-nine, where he's ta- where he's talking about where he's t- talking about. Um, For judgment, I came into this world so that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may become blind. Mm-hmm. That's my question. Is that kind of like the First Corinthians one twenty-seven, where he says that he'll. Uh, Uh, confound the wise
0: yes okay yeah very much so and uh, in fact we had some kind of fun with that in the life of christ series when we were teaching that you'll you get some notes on that in the life of christ notebooks and the mp3 file on that yeah yeah we don't want to go around poking people's eyes out (laughs) okay and and also when he talks about how it's better to you know pluck your eye out if your eye causes you to stumble and you know cut it out or chop it off and yeah, some, some of those are amusing uh, and kind of fun to, to teach on that regard. But. All right, well, join me then. Thank you, Chris. Any other questions? Last call, going once, going twice. Who knows what today is? Well, some of you have probably been following the Facebook stories, but the, I've been keeping a little diary thing going along since last Thursday. And uh, because, um, simply because uh, this year matches 1990 so perfectly. That, uh, that this year, 2018, is what's called a common year beginning on Monday, all right. and, and ni- 1990 was a common year beginning on Monday. That means all the calendar dates match up. That means this is Wednesday, May 9th, and it's the same thing it was in 1990. It was Wednesday, May 9th in 1990. And so um, this was the, uh, the occasion was, uh, was when the Army first sent me to Fort Hood, Texas. And so I made the drive from Seattle down to Fort Hood and uh, all the adventures along the way. And then uh, checking in at Fort Hood, I'm so intimidated by the the size and scope of, of Fort Hood. Certainly, compared to where I had been in Germany, it was overwhelming. And uh, so, um, and then how I made my way down to Austin because I wanted to meet Pastor Ralph Braun. I wanted to attend Austin Bible Church. And so, the first time I ever visited Austin Bible Church, of course, the old building over on Woodrow. Um, and it was a Wednesday night. It was May 9th, and it was also so I met Ralph. I met Dorothy. Went to prayer meeting. Went to Bible class. He was teaching from Philippians. How cool is that? <laughs> so here we are tonight teaching from Philippians. I think that's, uh, that's pretty amazing. And then to top everything else off, uh, Sharon was sitting right there. I didn't know who she was, but there was an attractive young woman sitting there in the fourth row behind me next to Shirley Newton. And uh, so it's a night I will never forget. But anyway, 28 years ago tonight. Well, let's look at uh, Philippians 2 and uh, pick up with what we were dealing with. And uh, we didn't quite get through the handout on Sunday, but we got through most of it. And I think we got the point, but we can uh, we can touch on that again and then uh, and then proceed. As we work at the things that we do in the Lord, Paul is hoping to send Timothy to conduct a spiritual appraisal of the Philippians he says i want to send timothy so that i may be encouraged when i learn of your condition so timothy's expected to be uh a spy <laughs> no uh he's he's a sanctified spy he's a he's an agent of the apostle paul and he is being uh, dispatched on an appraisal mission and uh and he's uh, equipped to do that he's equipped to go on uh, on an appraisal we're going to talk about that here shortly um we spent some time though talking about this in the Lord. Why is that phrase in there? Let's stop ignoring it. Okay, That phrase is in there for a reason. He could have just simply said, I hope to send Timothy to you shortly. And that sentence would make perfect sense. But when he says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly. That, that's a significant uh, difference. And that is uh, there's a detail there. And Like if we greet one another. And here's the list of all the things that we can do in the Lord. And this was why I gave you a handout Sunday morning because that slide is too, too busy. But these are, there's a lot of things we can do in the Lord. We can rejoice in the Lord. We can pray in the Lord. We can greet others in the Lord. Right? And I asked you that question Sunday morning or maybe I could ask it again tonight because some of you I greeted when you walked in the, in the, in the room or you walked in the building. Was I, did I greet you or did I greet you in the Lord? And can you tell the difference? (laughs) Okay. And, and what does that mean anyway? Okay. What does it mean to hope in the Lord? What does it mean to receive a saint in the Lord? What does it mean to birth a child in the Lord? See, if you lead somebody to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, then you've just birthed that child in the Lord. And uh, another aspects there, to enter a door of ministry, to have confidence. How about to obey your parents? Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Okay? And a lot of times I think we know the verses, we've read the verses for years. But we don't pay attention to those words in the Lord, and it almost—it's it's, almost—it's uh, unfortunate. We, and so now, if we go through this and, and detail this and spend some time on this, then uh, then hopefully um, we, we're not going to ignore it ever again. We'll, we'll encounter it in a text and we'll say, "Well, wait a minute; those words don't have to be in there, and the sentence still makes sense." So the fact that we added those words in there means something. What does it mean? To do something in the Lord, to hope in the Lord, to rejoice in the Lord, to stand firm in the Lord, to live in harmony in the Lord, to request and exhort in the Lord, or to command and exhort in the Lord, to have charge over a flock in the Lord, all right, and all of these things. And so these are all the things that you can do in the Lord, and we can do them because we have certain things in the Lord. We have grace, we have, and that's what the handout was about. Do we have any more of those? If uh, we might make some copies and get some of those. There we go. If you weren't here on Sunday and you don't have a copy, Doug's going to get one to you. Because there's quite a few folks that uh, we might have to make more photocopies. So let us I'm going to bring this back up again while Doug's handing those out. And we'll pick up with, uh, I didn't write down where we stopped, so we'll just have to guess on something here. Thank you, Doug. And so on the top of the handout, I think uh, a couple more over there, yeah. Things that we possess in the Lord, just by virtue of being saved, you know. If you got saved this morning, or the waiter that you led to Christ at dinner tonight, just half an hour ago, okay, he's born again. He has everything on this list. Same as you do, same as I do. Okay. In other words, life in Christ, love in Christ, grace in Christ, liberty in Christ, blessing in Christ, unity in Christ. And how many of the blessings does he have? All of them. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, we're told. And these are all things that we possess in the Lord. And so on that basis then, here's what we can do in the Lord. These are things that we can do in the Lord. And uh, Yeah, we didn't do all of those. We we ran out of time. Um, for example, to know something. To be convinced. Romans 14, 14 I know and am convinced in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but to him who thinks anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. Now I ask the question again, take those words in the Lord Jesus, just take them out. The sentence still makes sense. I know and am convinced that nothing is unclean in itself. So if it's something that I know, or is it something that I know in the Lord Jesus, what's the difference? And I think it's a big difference. And I think to be convinced in the Lord Jesus signifies that this is not just gnosis, not just a, an academic thing, not just a factual information thing, but it is a it is knowledge and persuasion that he has that he has come to in his walk with Jesus Christ, serving in ministry with Jesus Christ, yoked together with Jesus Christ. I really believe that this we ought to develop this at a greater level uh, because this, I think, would open up a whole new realm of epistemology, a whole new realm of how do I know anything? See, how do we know what we know? And uh, this is vital for, you know, Christian studies and even, uh, even unbelievers uh, waste a lot of time uh, trying to figure out how they know what they know. And some just get to be such skeptics, they don't think they know anything. And, and those guys are really fun to talk to, okay? Because um, if you don't think you can know anything, then why are we talking? But that's a different story. Alright. Uh, receive a saint in the Lord, like Phoebe. Receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saint. So Phoebe's coming to town, He says, I commend you to our sister Phoebe, who is a deaconess or servant of the church which is at Sancria. So she's leaving Sancria. She's on her way to Rome. May very well have been the courier even carrying the book of Romans. So maybe she's the one that handed the the scroll to them that that we're reading now in the book of Romans. But I commend you to our sister Phoebe, who is a servant of the church which is at Sancria, that you receive her. You can take those words in the Lord. You can take them out. That you receive her in a manner worthy of the saints, or you receive her in the Lord. I think it makes a difference. Okay? And so as we explore these things, let's start to realize you know, there is a function that happens by, our, by, the, by virtue of our positional truth in Christ. And it, it allows for us to serve in a spiritual capacity in ways that no unbeliever can do. You know, an unbeliever can welcome a traveler off the road and say, "Hey, you know, glad to see you. Come into my house and, you know, sleep here. And are you hungry?" And I mean, you can host somebody in your home. An unbeliever could welcome Phoebe into their home, but he says, "Receive her in the Lord." And I want us to start thinking in bigger terms, working hard in the Lord, greeting others in the Lord, boasting in the Lord. Birthing a child, marrying in the Lord. That's one, too, that we've got to pay more attention to because I think a lot of people just look at 1 Corinthians 7.39 and uh, say a wife is bound as long as her husband lives, but if her husband is dead, she's free to be married to whom she wishes. And then it says, only in the Lord. And I think uh, too many people look at that and they just limit it right off the bat and say, well, that just means I can't marry an unbeliever because I'm not supposed to be unequally yoked, Okay. That's true. You shouldn't marry an unbeliever. You are not to be unequally yoked. But this verse is saying more than that. That when you marry in the Lord, that means you're marrying under a conviction that this is the will of Jesus Christ. That the head of the church has made clear what your assignment is in uh, the unfolding of the church ministry. And really, it comes down to the will of God. When Paul said, I hope in in, in the Lord... To send Timothy to you shortly. What he's saying is, I'm hoping in the will of God. I'm hoping that as per God's plan, Timothy will be on his way to you shortly. That's what we, that's all of these things within the Lord center on the personal will of Jesus Christ as the head of the church. And so you want to marry in the Lord. That is, when the Lord makes clear that this is your helpmate for your work assignment, then you can marry in the Lord on that basis. All right, so we ran out of time as we were talking about confidence and self-confidence. Um, obeying your parents, Ephesians 6, 1, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. That's another in the Lord phrase, you know, put on the armor. Uh, but before you put on the armor, uh, be physically fit to, to wear that armor, right? You know, I lived in Germany for two years and one of my best hobbies was, was uh, touring castles. And I went, I went to a lot of castles. And I uh, paid the entrance fee to the museums and whatever, took pictures. I loved those old castles. They were so cool. And, and a lot of them had uh, armor. They had armor and weapons and displays of things from, you know, the Middle Ages and, and uh, different things. And I'm looking at some of these suits of armor, and I'm looking at these swords and these things that weigh just, you know, a lot of pounds. And I'm thinking, not only did they put those on, but they walked around in them, they fought in them, they moved, you know, they entered into combat. And I'm thinking, I would, I'd I'd be dead, I, you know, just trying to wear the suit of armor. And so when it says, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might, it's not an accident that that verse precedes the whole paragraph about the armor you're supposed to be putting on. But that strength is in the Lord, in the Lord. We don't want to lose sight of that. Uh, and then all these ones here from Philippians. So, What we're uh, dealing with here uh, in uh, hoping in the Lord is not the only in the Lord phrase that we have. Look at these ones here from Philippians. Trust in the Lord, hope in the Lord, rejoice in the Lord, stand firm in the Lord, live in harmony in the Lord. All of those are Philippian usages of in the Lord, okay? And uh, that's why I think it's probably uh, a good idea right here to get a handle on it so we uh, we don't lose sight of that as we move forward. Uh, And so yeah, rejoicing in the Lord. Big difference there because there's a lot of times we don't feel like rejoicing. (laughs) Our human emotions are not in a place where uh, rejoicing is on the table, (laughs) right? Because let's face it, you're going through a test and God doesn't say rejoice in your test. He says rejoice in the Lord. So don't be, you know, we're not expected to be morons. We're not expected to be, you know, masochists or say, oh, whoo, I, love, I love being unemployed. Thank you, Lord. You know, or, you know, whatever. I got this test going on. And, you know, those circumstances are not enjoyable. We're not rejoicing in the circumstances, but we're rejoicing in the Lord. And that's not optional. That's a command. So we're rejoicing in the Lord. And he's going to say it again and again and again. Philippians 3.1. Four four, four, ten. Not only is he redundant with it, he tells him he's redundant with it, and he tells him why. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord to write the same thing again is no trouble to me. it is a safeguard to you. You need to hear it over and over again. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. In verse 10, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. So we can rejoice in the Lord. We can stand firm in the Lord. We can live in harmony in the Lord. Request and exhort you in the Lord. 1 Thessalonians 4.1. Take the words out. Sentence don't make sense. Finally then, brethren, we request and exhort you that as you receive from us instruction is how you ought to walk. See, it makes sense. But we request and we exhort you in the Lord, okay? That means under the inspiration of Scripture, the Lord is directing Paul to request and exhort the Thessalonians, and that's what he's doing, in the Lord. And uh, as it says there, that as you walk, uh, instruction is how you ought to walk and please God. Just as you actually do walk, they're doing fine. He says, keep it up, do more, excel still more. It's not like they were Corinth. It's not like he had to chew them out and tell them to quit doing this and start doing that. They were doing great. But he says, excel still more. Don't, uh, don't think you can coast. Right? Don't think, yeah, I'm doing all right. And then you slack off and you coast. No, excel still more. Right foot. Accelerator. Push it down. <laughs> Go faster. And uh, in 2 Thessalonians it's command and exhort. Such persons we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ to work in quiet fashion and eat their own bread. Or how about having charge over a flock? We request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction. See, so the pastor of the church, is he a dictator? Is he a tyrant? Do you have to do every single thing he says? If he commands you to Throw away a crest and switch to Colgate? Um, you know, sell your Chevy and buy a Ford? Does he have that kind of authority? It says, in the Lord, doesn't it? So, he has charge over you in the Lord and gives you instruction. And that you esteem them very highly in love, not because they deserve it, but because of their work. Because of their work, it's one of my favorite texts. I use it as a guest speaker when I go uh, to other churches, (laughs) when I go to conferences or to uh, overseas missionary travel, things like that. It's a great message to go into somebody else's pulpit if you're visiting, you know, Spokane Bible Church or whatever, and preach to that flock to love Todd Kennedy. You know, and and it's it's great when you're teaching it. This is slightly more awkward when you're teaching it to your own flock in your own in your own congregation. But it's still biblical, and there it is. All right, And it's in the Lord. So that's, uh, that establishes the parameters there for the authority. Here's another one. Philemon 20, benefit from one another. Yes, brother, let me benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. I love this one, too. This one's great. Let me, let's benefit from one another. I'm going to benefit from you. You're going to benefit from me. It's a win-win in the lord it's a win-win see the world doesn't get this the 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 satan's version of this is horrible (laughs) the the satan's version of this is uh you know you scratch my back i'll scratch yours what have you done for me lately um you know what can i get from you how can i use you what are you worth to me And, and and once you're worthless then goodbye i'm moving on to the next victim okay that's how this world operates it's not how the church operates we sacrificially give one to another and we're pleased to do so. And so when he says, let me benefit from you in the Lord, that's, uh, that's a neat thing to consider. Refresh my heart in Christ. And, and this is, of course, he's returning the runaway slave here. And he's not telling him to free him, not telling him what to do. He's fully within his legal rights. If Philemon wants to do it, he can have Onesimus crucified as a runaway slave that stole from him. But now he's coming back and he's got scripture in his hands and he's a believer now. And uh, so you have a slave back and you got a believing slave back. And the book ends, the Bible doesn't tell us what the, the rest of the story is, what happens next. Uh, there are church traditions that, uh, that indicate Onesimus was freed and, and that uh, he became a deacon in the church at Colossae and, and other things there. But let me benefit from you in the Lord. And then finally, dying in the Lord. That's, that's the conclusion to this. I heard a voice from heaven saying, right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Now what does that mean? To die in the Lord. Just is that, you know, if you're going to die, you want to be saved? <laughs> it says so much more than that. That's kind of a no-brainer. And that's always been the case. That's not from now on. That's always been the case. It's always been good to be saved instead of not saved when you die. Because as soon as you die, it's too late. Um, this, but when you die in the Lord, that is, as a martyr, when he, by the will of Jesus Christ, walking with Him, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, as I'm walking with Him, yoked together with Jesus Christ, and my next work assignment is my martyrdom, that's a blessing. Okay? And so I'm going to die in the Lord, if He so chooses, if that's what He's going to assign to me. And uh, aspects there. There's other phrases too about dying, and and these are not necessarily as parallel, but because I think they have to do with uh, in Christ as a positional truth thing. But nevertheless, in encouraging believers about the resurrection, those who have, if there is no resurrection, then sorry, those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. How sad is that? You know. Somehow, some one of those speakers in Corinth, um, they started spreading the story that there's no such thing as the resurrection, that Paul was wrong. There is no resurrection. And Paul spends a whole chapter here in 1 Corinthians 15 saying, are you kidding me? If there's no resurrection, there's no Christianity. If, If Jesus isn't raised, then we're wasting our time. If there's no resurrection, then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Now that can be a positional truth thing because the phrase is in Christ but it could be also in the will of God, in the will of the Lord, in Christ. And we could take it the same way that we take it in Revelation 14, 13, those that lay down their life on a martyrdom basis according to the will of Jesus Christ. Okay? And that's, like I said, in every single one of these the in the Lord thing means mindful of the will of Jesus Christ. In, in what I'm hoping for and what I'm wishing for and what I'm doing, if, it's, if I'm rejoicing, it's, it's according to the will of Jesus Christ. So um, that would include dying. If it's the will of Jesus Christ for me to die, am I going to do it? Am I going to die? Okay, If this is what my Savior asks? So uh, just stop and consider that kind of a thing too. Remember, when he says, take my yoke upon you, that's what it is. It's a yoke. And and if you, you know, two two ox, ox, oxen are yoked together, I wouldn't want to have, be anything else, right? I'm yoked with Jesus Christ. And so where He walks, I walk. And if it's through the valley of the shadow of death, great. I'll go through the valley of the shadow of death. Whatever it is. If He's taking me there, then let's go. And if it's my death, hey, let's go. This is where the wisdom of mom falls short. My mom used to love to say, oh, well, if, if your friend was going to jump off a bridge, would you jump off a bridge? Ah, got you now, mom. If my friend was Jesus, <laughs> yes, I would jump off a bridge. First Thessalonians 4.16 is the last of those two. The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Now that definitely is a positional truth thing. This, this refers to all church age saints and they are the dead in Christ. Every church age saint that's in Christ from Pentecost to rapture, if they've died in Christ then uh, they're a part of this rapture event. The dead in Christ. So It does not include Moses or Daniel or Job or any of the Old Testament saints but every, uh, every member of the body and bride of Jesus Christ from our dispensation, they are the dead in Christ and they will rise first. So we can die in the Lord. We can, uh, All these are the things we can do in the Lord. All right? So that's, uh, that's a recap of that slide there, plus a few more things. All right. Point two then. The consequences of sending Timothy there and back again was for Paul to learn of the Philippians' condition and to be encouraged. The consequences of sending Timothy there and back again his own little hobbit journey, okay? This is the consequences. Paul is going to send Timothy not just to Philippi, he has to go and come back to report so Paul can learn. He said, so that I may learn, I may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. The consequence of sending Timothy there and back again was for Paul to learn of the Philippians' condition and to be encouraged. That's the whole point. It means Timothy has to do a round trip from Ephesus to Philippi. Or Rome to Philippi, if you prefer that. Or Caesarea to Philippi, if you go with that theory. Okay, that's the furthest distance. But uh, I think Ephesus to Philippi, whatever distance it is, he's got to go there, he's got to come back. That's the only way Paul's going to receive that report, going to hear back from Timothy. And uh, which means Timothy has to be suited to estimate such things. Rather than asking the Philippians... (laughs) for an inadequate response to the how are you question. He could have just written a letter and said, hey, write to me, tell me how you're doing. Instead of doing that, Timothy is tasked with a spiritual and pastoral inspection to provide a comprehensive response to the how are they question. (laughs) So He's not asking the Philippians, how are you? Write to me. He's asking Timothy, how are they? And expecting that Timothy's going to travel there, inspect everything, teach them, encourage them, pray with them, and then come back and report to Paul and give an accurate, spiritually uh, on target, how are they, report. And Timothy is Paul's only trainee qualified, qualified at this time anyway, to undertake such a task. Now eventually Titus will get there, Titus will become a troublemaker. Trouble shooter, not a troublemaker. Titus will become a troubleshooter. In fact, Titus kind of outpaces Timothy at a certain point, maybe because of his age, and if he was a little bit older, maybe because of his Gentile background, maybe for whatever reason. Maybe uh, Titus is just uh, a tougher, you know, tougher kind of guy. Because he would send Titus into some some tougher places like Crete, okay, or Corinth, or other things like that. Um, but at this time, Titus isn't ready yet. Luke isn't ready yet. Epaphroditus, well, Epaphroditus gets sent, but that's for other reasons. Timothy is the only one. He says, I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. No one else of kindred spirit. So what does it mean to be kindred spirit? It's a fun expression because it's so rare. One New Testament use, one Septuagint use. And it's, uh, it's uh, It's interesting, and I wonder, because it's so rare, how often can this be developed? And what does it take to develop something like this? If this is something that the Paul-Timothy model can produce, and I think it does produce later with Titus, is this something that uh, seminaries fail to engender, but a local church training ministry can succeed? Where a formal seminary, a graduate school uh, uh, institution falls short, because what you're really doing is you're fostering through mentorship, you're you're fostering this kindred spirit. This this uh, it's more, it has more than like-mindedness, more than like-mindedness. We're going to talk about that. And so Timothy's the one, the only one, the one and only that can do this, and to be genuinely concerned, and. Uh, there's some work to be done there too because the word for concern is the same word for worry. Okay? Don't be worried. Don't be anxious. Be anxious for nothing except the Philippians. <laughs> okay, And so we do the same thing, right? And we're going to have some fun with the Bible because the Bible is kind of cool in this regard. Um, because it's, 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 it's a study whereby you've got a word and the same word that you're told not to do in a negative way Um, we also have verses that say it's okay to do it in a positive way. There's a legitimate concern. And so sometimes in English it's useful to render it like worry is a sin, but spiritual concern is sanctified. (laughs) Okay, So a pastor can be concerned for his flock. A pastor, Paul was concerned for the Corinthians that they were going to be led astray from the as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness so your minds would be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. Paul was concerned about that. He was concerned about the Philippians. And he said Timothy's concerned. Genuinely concerned. It's the same exact word when we're told be anxious for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication and with thanksgiving make your request known to God. So how do we reconcile these, these disparate uses? How do we recognize, okay, there's, there's a good use and there's a bad use and, and know the difference. Like good fear, bad fear. Good jealousy, bad jealousy. Good boasting, bad boasting. There's, there's several concepts that are similar here. And vocabulary doesn't help. Because it's the same vocabulary in both the good usages and the bad usages. So we'll have some fun with that too. Uh, Timothy will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. And that's a good thing. So Timothy is Paul's only trainee qualified at this time to undertake such a task. And this is part of what we do too. And it's hard to, it's hard to grade and it doesn't really show up on a syllabus, but it's a part of every man's training. This is how Ralph trained me. And we'd, we'd be sitting in the parsonage and he'd kick his shoes off and prop up the recliner and we'd start talking different things. And he'd throw out a scenario. And I would be sitting there and Stan Newton would be sitting there and Donnie Dolan, George Dykeman, some other man would be sitting there. And uh, Ralph would throw out a scenario and he'd say, all right, he said, uh, here's a situation, you know, here's a church and here's a situation and you're the pastor, how do you handle it? Oh. And so we'd come up with some ideas and try to back them up with Scripture and whatever, you know. And, and these scenarios, they were, they were, you know, different shepherding things. And uh, um, <laughs> it's, it's kind of curious, too, because even some of the best answers I thought I came up with or Stan came up with, would just make him laugh. <laughs> and Ralph would just laugh and giggle and he'd say, okay, well, yeah. You know, a younger man would probably think that. And then he'd go on to say, but would you ever consider this? And then he would lay out something else, you know, an alternative. And and we'd all go, wow. <laughs> yeah. That, you, I, I like that. That's That's, that's <laughs> you know, and 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 so of course, you know, Ralph comes across as this great, you know, genius, this guru of, of wisdom. Well, truth is he learned all that stuff the hard way, you know. He didn't just know all that stuff the whole time, he learned that the hard way. And so, you know, by making mistakes and learning from the mistakes and doing better the next time around, or doing better the third time around, or whatever, and then eventually, so when you finally learn the five bad things to not do and the one good thing that seemed to work okay, you know, that means you've been in the ministry a while and you've, you've got some scars and some things. And you want to pass that wisdom on to those younger guys so that they can be far beyond anything you even dreamed of at, a, at younger ages and, and, and go further distances. Does that make sense? So this is what Paul's talking about now. And Timothy is qualified now to look and, and give an appraisal you know, give praise to Come back and, and actually report back. You've got to have the skills to do that. And so, uh, you know, if you're... <laughs> Sharon and I find different things if we're visiting churches, you know, that's fine, whatever. You know, she wants to see what's the Sunday school look like? What's the nursery look like? What's the, you know, what are the bathrooms like? You know, thing, you know practical things that, 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 you know, she checks out every, every church we go to kind of a thing. You know, I want to find the church library. I want to, what are the books on the shelves? I want to find, you know, uh, you know what's the literature like? And, you know, just different. We, we have different interests. I'm not criticizing Sharon tonight. Uh, but if, if he doesn't send Timothy, if he sends somebody else, what's their report going to be like when they come back? Because they aren't concerned over the Philippians' interests. They're concerned about their own interests. They're going to come back with a flawed report. They're not going to see everything they need to see. Or they're going to be afraid to say, um, something that needs to be said. Okay? And Timothy won't be afraid to say that. And I think that's uh, interesting too. Now, Paul's desired encouragement is not what we expect, it's not the paraclasis encouragement. Paul's desired encouragement is, uh, well, <laughs> it, it's, it's only used here in the New Testament. It's called a apex legomena. It's only used once. You psukeo. And the prefix you means well or good. We're very familiar with that, like a eulogy. Something that's you as well. And then psycho. <laughs> okay? Uh, psycheo. Sukeo. Okay? It's like the noun for soul, only you make a verb out of it. Psukeo. And so, really, it's the concept behind. It is well with my soul. Right? Is it well with my soul? Is it well with your soul? He wants to be well sold. Well sold. And to be well sold. It's an interesting phrase. Um, There is secular usage. There is secular tradition. In fact, one of the biggest things is you go to an ancient cemetery and all these tombstones have this word on on the tombstone. Used on grave inscriptions, basically as a farewell. Okay, be strong, be courageous, and it's like uh, you know your your loved one has departed mortality and they're venturing off the river Styx or whatever. I forget my Greek mythology. Somebody comes along, a boatman takes them somewhere, and uh, and so they have to be as a, as a farewell to uh, to be encouraged. So it shows up on a lot of grave inscriptions. Um, anyway, e u p s u c h e o u is the verb. 2174 is the Strong's number, and this is it. This is your word study. This is the one place in the New Testament that occurs. But significantly, it is not paraklesis. It's not parakleo. It's not what we think of typically with the God of all comfort, with the comfort, the encouragement, the exhortation that we have. Some of you men here have the exhortation gift that you prayed about, uh, being an encourager, being a comforter, being an exhorter. This isn't it. This is decidedly unique in how it's used to be well sold. And uh, I don't know if if the shepherd of Hermas was was influenced by um, Philippians or not, but In in the Shepherd of Hermas, and this is early church literature. It's not Bible. All right. I meant to make that clickable. Nope, it's not clickable. Uh, Let me pull this up. Let me show you how I get there, and then maybe you'll get there in a different way. Anybody bring a copy of Shepherd of Hermas with them tonight? No. All right. Well, that's all right. (laughs) <laughs> hey, if you got Logos on your phone, you got it. Well, depending on what resources you have. All right. So, uh, encouraged. Right-click encouraged. Look at psukeo. Bring up a word study. Here's your word study on psukeo. Okay? It's only used once in the uh, New, New Testament. It's not used anywhere in the Septuagint. You've got your cognate forms there with uh, the suko root for life or soul. Josephus uses it once, the Greek classics only use it Greek classics, we're talking thousands of works over hundreds of years and you would expect lots of usages and there really aren't that many, there's only six in the Greek classics but here's the uh, apostolic fathers shepherd of Hermes bring it up, all right So there it is. Um, let me back up a little bit here. I thought this was interesting. Alright, so this is not Bible. This is, is not Scripture. It does not belong in the New Testament. It is early Christian literature from, I think, the 3rd century. Um, in any event. So, let's start at the beginning here of chapter 3. Yeah, this is not... Why God is angry at you, rather it is in order that you may convert your family which has sinned against the Lord and against you, their parents. But you are so fond of your children that you have not corrected your family but have allowed it to become terribly corrupt. (laughs) Okay, and like I say, this is not Bible, but this is early Christian literature in the early couple of centuries A.D., right? in the immediate consequence of the New Testament being written on Christianity spreading through the Roman Empire, of Christian writers that are shaped by the New Testament. And they have to deal with things like we have to deal with things. They have to deal with uh, unsaved family members. They have to deal with children that depart from the faith when they leave home. They've got to deal with things like we've got to deal with. And it's, you know, all testing is common to man. And church testing is common to churches. And so, uh, I don't know, does this sound familiar? You're so fond of your children that you have not corrected your family. You know, are you going to compromise doctrine? I mean, sin is sin, but come on, it's my, my child that's doing this. It can't be that bad. Wait a minute. So you've allowed it to become terribly corrupt. This is why the Lord is angry at you, but he will heal all your past evil deeds that have been done by your family. For because of their sins and transgressions, you have been corrupted by the cares of this life. That's another phrase that comes out of uh, the parable of the sower and sowing the seed by the thorns, the cares of this life. But the great mercy of the Lord has had mercy on you and your family and will strengthen you and establish you in His glory. And that word therefore will strengthen you is our yupsukeo. In other words He will stabilize your soul and establish you in His glory. Only do not be careless. But be courageous and strengthen your family for just as the blacksmith by hammering at his work completes the task he wants to do so also does the daily righteous word conquer all evil. Isn't that great? The word of God is going to hammer you and that's a good thing. (laughs) The blacksmith keeps beating on it beating on it and beating on it until it has the shape it's supposed to have. Well the word of God keeps beating and beating and beating until we have the shape we're supposed to have. I like that. I think I colored the wrong word there. There's the yupsukeo and I think it's this uh, courageous, be courageous and strengthen your family. Yes. Those are the ones that match up. It's not the strengthen and establish you. The strengthen and establish you is, is up here. Alright. Be courageous and strengthen your family. And really, do we forget the fact that courage is a part of encouragement? (laughs) You know, courage, we think of courage as far as being brave, courage if I'm facing the enemy, courage to tell my loved one that he's wrong, okay? That's courage. And uh, I think all too often we take the courage out of encouragement. And we turn encouragement into, uh, let me help you blow your nose and wipe your... You know, pat you on the back, and we turn we turn encouragement into a kind of a, a consolation, kind of a, a pat pat thing, instead of a build your courage and face it and and, and uh, deal with it. Okay, that's the that's the idea. Anyway, just as the blacksmith, by hammering at its work, completes the task he wants to do, so also the daily righteous word does. The daily righteous word conquer all evil. So do not cease, therefore, instructing your children, for I know that if they repent with all their heart, they will be enrolled with the saints in the books of life. And then it goes on. Anyway, so it's not Bible, but I thought it was useful. I thought it was an interesting parallel. I thought it was uh, an excellent usage of the verb. And uh, maybe uh, sheds just a a little more flavoring on on what we're looking at here. So he wants to be... um, soul-strengthened. He wants, to, uh, he wants it to be well with his soul when I learn of their condition, of the Philippian condition. For he says, I have no one else of kindred spirit. They all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. And this uh, takes us to really the third issue of the text. Selfishness destroys ministry capacity. Selfishness destroys ministry capacity. If it's all about you, you're not ready. If it's all about you. And this, by the way, this is not just ministry. Uh, if it's all about you, you're not ready for marriage either. How about that? <laughs> How do you sacrifice for your spouse if it's all about you? If it's all about you, you're not ready for children. If it's all about you, you're not ready for shepherding. So that includes ministry. That includes a lot of other applications as well. Seeking after their own interests. Really? Is that what we're called to do? Seek ye first yourself? No, it says seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. And so this uh, this selfishness thing. Timothy is Paul's only student who is kindred spirit. Kindred spirit. Now this is where, I should have put these on the same slide. I think I think Paul is specifically avoiding the uh paraklesis terminology he deliberately went to the weird word with eupsukeo so that he could match it with this word with isopsuchos with "isopsukos." one spirit one soul it's a psukos it's a, a is a psuke as a soul, right? Numa is a spirit. This is psukos, <coughs> and uh, the iso. You know what isos are? Like isotopes. You know what an iso is, okay? And so here's here's uh, you know Paul and Timothy are practically clones. It's just Paul's soul is a different isotope from Timothy's soul, but boy, they're close. They are so close, okay? kind of an interesting expression and so far timothy's the only one that's there and so timothy's the one that's selected timothy's the one that's sent to this assignment and uh, if you don't i mean there's warnings don't lay hands on a man too hastily if he's not ready for it you're going to wreck him you're going to wreck that flock and you're going to sign yourself up for the divine discipline consequences of doing that don't lay hands on a man too hastily and what's interesting to me is the only two places this word shows up are here in the New Testament and Psalm 54.13 in the Septuagint. Psalm 54.13 in the Greek translation of the, of the Hebrew Old Testament. So let's look at that. Psalm 54.13. And I think... This is interesting. This, uh, this is David being betrayed... Does anybody like betrayal? All right, so 54 13 is a problem. How about 5113? Well, this is terrible. Uh, And, or 54. See, I meant to double check this. Septuagint Psalms. Okay, so it's Psalm. In the English, it's Psalm 55. In the Greek, it's Psalm 54. I knew I had to double check that. Psalm 55. Alright. So this is uh, a mass kill of David when he's being betrayed. I mean, who likes betrayal? Anybody? <laughs> Nobody. Common human experience. We hate it. And uh, and, and Jesus encountered it. David encountered it. And what's worse is the closer they are to you, the more it hurts. The closer they are to you, right? If it's an enemy, you know, who cares? I expected it. But if it's my spouse, your spouse can hurt you in ways nobody else can. If it's your close friend, and that's what we see here. So um, all of the, uh, we have all these verses here of um, betrayal, and why they're anxious to bring him down, and why they're anxious to, uh, to, to attack him. Um, he says in verse 9, Confuse, O Lord, divide their tongues, for I have seen violence and strife in the city. Day and night they go around her upon her walls, and iniquity and mischief are in her midst. Destruction is in her midst, oppression and deceit do not depart from her streets. You know, this was a re- full rebellion. His son was stealing the throne. And as Absalom takes the throne, it's his own counselor that's helping him do it. Ahithophel is helping him do it, and Ahithophel is the wisest guy in the you know Solomon's not born and wise yet. So Ahithophel is the wisest guy in the world, and he's David's counselor. But now Ahithophel has turned, and Ahithophel is supporting Absalom. Okay, and it's just a terrible thing. And the worst thing about it. Is it is expressed here in verse 12, for it is not an enemy who reproaches me. Then I could bear it. If that was the case, man, that's an easy test. Nor is it one who hates me, who has exalted himself against me. Then I could hide myself from him. But it is you, a man, my equal, my companion, and my familiar friend. And this term, isosukos, is in this verse right here. A man my equal. And that's, that's, I mean, you got David, the only man the Bible calls a man after God's own heart, but he points to Ahithophel and says, my equal. Somebody that he was um, knit together the, the, by the way, the personal name of Hithophel's is nowhere in this chapter. We know it because of Second Samuel. We know it because of, of uh, parallel passages. Uh, so, my companion, my familiar friend, we who had sweet fellowship together walked in the house of God in the throng. Now, there's no temple yet. What's he talking about? Possibly the tabernacle, but I think he's talking about the reality, knowing that as a fellowship in doctrine, that they're uh, they're operating on a heavenly plane. Okay, we who had sweet fellowship together. Now, Paul and David, could, or Paul and Timothy, could say the same thing. Ralph and I could say the same thing. Okay, and uh, as I had lunch with Pastor Cliff this week, he and I can say the same thing. Okay. And I think that's the value of local church seminaries, the value of being mentored. And uh, you, you develop this, uh, this uh, capacity. We who had sweet fellowship together walked in the house of God in the throng. Let death come deceitfully upon them. Let them go down alive to shale, for evil is in their dwelling in their midst. As for me, I shall call upon God, and the Lord will save me. Now as bitter as this was, as tragic as this was, the, um, do we know the backstory behind this? Do we know why Ahithophel switched sides? You know, man, this betrayal did, didn't just happen out of the blue. This is actually what happens when betrayal follows betrayal, follows betrayal, follows betrayal. Ahithophel was Bathsheba's grandfather. Okay. Ahithophel, Ahithophel's son, was one of David's mighty men. Bathsheba is the granddaughter. She's the daughter of one of David's mighty men. She's the wife of Uriah, another one of David's mighty men. (laughs) And here's David committing adultery with Bathsheba, murdering Uriah. And uh, Hithophel was devastated. You talk about heartbroken. Betrayed. Uriah wasn't the only one betrayed, okay. And so Ahithophel becomes the counselor for uh, Absalom in uh, in Absalom's rebellion, and it's uh, and it's just a terrible terrible story there in the Old Testament. And so when Paul, when uh, David is lamenting his traitor, and, and it it also causes me to consider too with Jesus and, and Judas, what was their friendship like? What was their ministry-like. We don't know a whole lot, but we do know when Judas comes to the garden to kiss him, Jesus calls him friend. And says friend. <laughs> That's something. And so to be betrayed on that basis. Anyway, this is, uh, this is the expression here. So no one else of kindred spirit. No one else of, uh, with a soul isotope of my own soul. Okay? This is what Paul says here. And so he knows that when Timothy comes back and reports, it's, it's, like, it's like Paul saw it with his own eyes. It's like Paul himself was there. Because that perspective is going to be so identical. To, to uh, Timothy's going to see everything that Paul would have seen if Paul would have been there. And that's, uh, that's neat to think about. Alright. So on Sunday we'll come back and we'll deal with this concerned thing. Genuinely concerned. I don't want to worry because worry is a sin, but I want to be concerned. If I'm not concerned, well, that's a problem. Okay? But we want to be concerned for the right things for the right reasons. And uh, we'll tackle that on Sunday. Father, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for this night. Thank you for the blessings we have to study to show ourselves approved. Thank you for brothers and sisters that uh, that aren't coming for the entertainment or the fun and games, Father. They the uh, the passion is for truth. And we want to grow so we can live. And we want to live so we can glorify Your Son. He's the one that's worthy, Father. And uh, just thank You for being so faithful. We give You the praise and the glory, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.